Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech Asia Pacific series. As in Voice of Fintech podcast so far, here you will hear inspirational stories of entrepreneurs, corporate innovators, investors, ecosystem hub leaders from or close to the world of fintech. Asia Pacific series will be hosted by amazing hosts based in the region, speaking to the leaders from Asia Pacific. Here is another one hosted by Chia. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Voice of Fintech Asia-Pacific podcast. My name is Chia, your host for today, and I am very privileged to have John, president and CEO of UBX, a fintech venture studio created by the Union Bank of the Philippines. Hey, John, it's great to have you. You've had a long career as a fintech executive and now VC slash venture builder, Tell me a little bit about yourself and what makes you wake up in the morning. Thanks for thanks for having me here today. And I, I noticed that you did not take a stab at my last name. <laughs> Absolutely. I didn't want to butcher it, but uh, please, please educate us. I'll yeah. Be- maybe the reason I point out my last name is I'm obviously not from the Philippines originally, but based now in the Philippines. And I guess that's where my story starts. So I grew up in in Canada. I I went to school for uh, astrophysics, actually. That was my program of study in university. And in the scope of my studies, we did a lot of computer modeling. We were, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but when I went to school, we were making the transition from film to uh, CCD chips for imaging and literally writing software for image processing. Now, what we did is now in your mobile phone, the the chips, the sensors and the software, but we just had the, we just had the rudimentary chips and we had to write all the software to handle that. And when I left school, what I realized very quickly was that it wasn't really the the physics or the astronomy that was marketable, but what was very marketable were were my my technology and my software skills. And I went into a a technology uh, career. I worked for, I worked for a telco. I worked for an insurance company in a technology uh, role. And then I went into commercial software development and I did that for years. And in the scope of the kind of software that we're built was around uh, business process automation and analytics. And that took me back to the financial services sector. I worked with a multinational insurance company. And at this point, so now we're we're into the the 21st uh, century. And financial services companies, like many companies, uh, are now dealing with, with digital. And all of us were talking about digital transformation. We have to digitally transform ourselves. And in the scope of working with this multinational insurance company, I was relocated to the Philippines. Uh, and I developed a relationship with Union Bank of the Philippines, one of the top 10 universal banks in the Philippines. And we would, in the scope of our business relationship, we would trade stories about digital transformation. And I was very impressed with everybody, quote unquote, is doing digital transformation in the financial services space. But to be honest, some are doing it uh, more than others and they're doing it and they were doing it in earnest more than others. And I was just really impressed with the focus and the progress of Union Bank of the Philippines when it came to corporate digital transformation. And uh, when the opportunity presented itself to come over to Union Bank, I, I jumped at the chance. And I learned why the, they had made so much 
progress and why they impress the outsider. And that's because the, the mantra within Union Bank was literally digitize or perish. So for Union Bank, they had taken on digital transformation as a life or death mission. And, and when, the, when the mission is clear and it's so binary, I think it's really a lot easier for an organization to rally uh, behind a particular outcome. At the stage when I joined Union Bank, they were well on their way. They were about five, six years into their digital transformation journey. And at this point in time, bringing it back to present, but I'll roll the clock back again in a moment. But at present, I, I think Union Bank of all of the legacy universal banks, commercial banks in the Philippines, I think Union Bank is widely regarded is the, as the digital leader. Um, and, and it shows up in a lot of ways. You don't even have to go to the bank to, to interact with the bank. A lot of banks still rely on their branch network. For example, at Union Bank, you can open an account. And, and this is as an individual or as a business. You can open an account online and you can interact and do everything that you need to do with the bank through digital channels. And, to the, and in the scope of that, the, the digitization, that's how it shows up for the customer. But the digitization took place literally to the core. So the the architecture, the technology architecture and staff of the bank was completely reimagined and, and to the point where the bank is surrounded, it's literally wrapped in an API. So Union Bank is actually 100% programmable. So anyone dealing with the bank can access them for di through digital front ends with very nice uh, user experiences. But at the same time, they can literally program directly to the bank. And so that's, yeah, and so that that's what got me to the bank digital as a game changer yeah got you yeah go ahead go ahead got you john no thanks so much for that i really like how the way you've described the bank as really innovating from the core having to digitize and then seeing it's left in that situation i'm sure you must have some really interesting stories about who has been affected tangibly by that so can you tell me understand some of the customers of the bank who they are and and, and what they see yeah, with the API, we could literally, and this is actually a good segue to UBX. So let's uh, let's leverage on this for UBX. With the API, one observation that we had was that for customers, for certain customers, and typically this was larger corporate customers, instead of these customers going to a digital front end or having their, you can imagine their finance team going to a, a business banking front end. And Union Bank has that, by the way, that exists for business customers. But for typically for larger corporates, they could leverage the API so that we could, for example, integrate payments or supply chain financing directly into their systems and into their workflows. And that kind of made a light bulb go off for us because we said maybe actually it's the future of financial services for everybody. In the future, you won't actually go to the bank. So even with digital banks and neo banks, and even with Union Bank and their digital, their bank app, you still go to quote unquote, go to the bank. It's just that you're doing it on your phone or on your, on your web browser. So you're still going to the bank, but based on that experience with uh, some of the bank's customers, our observation was, like I said, and observation, maybe the wrong word. Our hypothesis was maybe that's the future. Banking will be completely invisible. It will be embedded into the activities 
and experiences that truly matter for everyone, for individuals and for businesses. So that was observation number one. Observation number two was more and more the activities and experiences that truly matter to people and to businesses are occurring on digital platforms. Okay, so that whether I want to take a course, I want to look for a house, I want to, I want to uh, buy stuff, maybe overseas, I want to buy stuff retail, more and more, we're going to, to digital platforms, like, for example, a Lazada. Yeah, in the Philippines for, for e-commerce. And if you're buying stuff, if you're a merchant buying stuff from overseas, you might be something, might be using something like Oberlo, or if you were, if you were uh, taking courses more and more, we see that happening on platforms like Coursera and edX and stuff like that. So the activities and experiences that matter are happening more on, on, on digital platforms. And then the third observation for us was that these digital platforms uh, are acquiring customers at a scale at scale and at a scale that far exceeds traditional financial services institutions. So that, that was the equation. The equation was the future is one of embedded or invisible banking or financial services. Embedding it into experiences and activities that matter mean embedding it into digital platforms. And that was a recipe for long-term customer acquisition because digital platforms are acquiring customers at scale. And we, what we realized we needed to do to test this hypothesis was we needed to actually have a, a spin out a technology company because what we actually needed to build wasn't financial services. We needed to build digital platforms. And so what we looked for starting in the Philippines in our home market is we said, look, what large communities or ecosystems are both digitally and financially underserved? So in some cases, there were, in some cases, there were digital platforms that had, in, for example, e-commerce. We don't have Amazon in the Philippines, but Lazada and Shopee and maybe a couple of others um, have been at it for quite some time. And so they, they've they're supporting that community or that ecosystem. But in other communities and ecosystems, similar platforms didn't exist. So we said, let's, where we think uh, we can make a difference, let's start building technology and digital platforms for those ecosystems. And then number two is because we believe in a future of invisible banking, we will be aggregating and virtualizing financial services so that we can embed them into these digital platforms that we're building. But of course, if we are aggregating and virtualizing financial services for our own platforms, we can also offer them uh, to the platforms of others, to, to, some, to other players outside of UBX and our group that are uh, serving large communities or ecosystems. And so that that is why we, uh, so in 2018, literally in December 2018, we incorporated UBX as a fintech, as a financial technology company. We do not, we do not create financial services products directly. What we do is we build digital uh, platforms based on the, uh, the thesis that I just described to you. And at the same time, we are aggregating and virtualizing the financial services of others so that we can connect those financial services to the user of, this, of these platforms. And it's very powerful because 
now the, the unbundling of financial services and the access to them through our platforms allows a platform, including our own, to rebundle them into a financial service or a product that one can be deeply embedded and hopefully just about invisible, but also hyper-personalized to the user and embedded in the right moment, in the right context. So that's UBX. The, that's the nuts and bolts of UBX. But if we step back, the other thing that's happening here is because digital platforms are acquiring customers at scale and at a scale that far surpasses uh, traditional financial service providers, this strategy of embedded finance and digitization in general is a game changer in terms of financial inclusion. So when you step back and you look at UBX from a vision perspective, our vision is literally opportunity and access for all. So what we, what we believe we are accomplishing through the technology that we're building and through this thesis around invisible and embedded banking is we believe that we are going to make a positive and material impact uh, you know, directly with UBX and also with our partners, with the other platforms that we're working with on uh, financial, real financial inclusion and what we like to say in the Philippines, truly inclusive prosperity. Yeah. So let me, let me provide a story that makes this all real. So one of our platforms, one of the ecosystems that we felt was digitally and financially underserved was the community, the ecosystem of micro, small, and medium-sized enterprises. So officially in the Philippines, there are about a million registered SMEs. Our research also suggests that there are two, three, and maybe more million of unofficial businesses, side hustles and, and informal businesses in the Philippines. The ecosystem or the community of micro, small and medium-sized enterprises is perennially underserved, both digitally and financially. And on the financial front, just to give you a sense, less than 10% of credit extended from universal or commercial banks have historically gone to this segment. Yet, this segment represents 99.5% of all businesses in the Philippines. And pre-pandemic, it was responsible for over 60% of the GDP and, over, and employed over 60% of the population. So the statistics uh, you know, speak for themselves. This is a large community, but one that is both digitally and financially underserved. So we create, so for example, we created, we created a, an e-commerce platform for this community. We call it Centro. So you can literally go to sentro.ph. And if you are a micro, a small, a medium-sized enterprise, you can literally create an online e-commerce experience for your business in minutes. Now, there are other, obviously there are other companies providing for this. There are marketplaces like Lazada and Shopee. There are e-commerce platforms like Shopify. But what we noticed is that the, the vast majority of both the official and the shadow market of MSMEs are operating on Facebook Messenger, or they're facilitating orders through Viber, or they're putting pictures up on Facebook and Instagram. And then if somebody likes them, they have a, a side conversation through, through a, a, an ad hoc communication channel. And, and so we said, look, there's a big gap. There's a big digital gap for this large community. 
between doing the selling they wanted and getting to the point where they're going to be comfortable joining a marketplace or using a platform as, as sophisticated as Shopify or something like that. So we created, uh, our goal was to create the absolute easiest to use e-commerce platform. And literally, and, and the reason why it's so easy to use is you go to the website, you upload some of your products, but the payments and the logistics. So the ability to accept a payment and to deliver a product are baked directly into the platform. So literally in minutes, you can be online and you can be selling. Now, one of the things that SMEs are going to need, one of the things that SMEs are going to need as they grow any business, including an online business, is access to credit. Uh, so, so getting back, now getting to the invisible banking part of this. We said, look, what we now need to do is we need to create a platform that aggregates lenders and creates a digital end-to-end -end lending experience for these SMEs. And in our central platform, it would be invisible. If the, if the merchant needed access to working capital, it would simply be available to them, for example, scored against their selling data. So we created this platform that allowed us to aggregate multiple lenders with multiple lending products, and we could embed it into these platforms that we're building for digitally and financially underserved communities. Now, of course, that lending platform can be used by other e-commerce platforms to provide the exact same embedding of credit into their platforms. And for, so anyways, I've mentioned Lazada a few times. One of the reasons I've done that is Lazada is a partner of UBX, we embed our lending platform for SMEs directly into the merchant experience of a Lazada merchant. So if you're a Lazada merchant without leaving the Lazada merchant experience, you can, you can uh, request access to working capital through our CCAP platform. So that's S-E-E-K-C-A-P. You can request and you authenticate on Lazada. You authorize the sharing of some of your Lazada sales data. And that allows the lenders on our platform to extend a, a lending decision. Actually, it's done on, it's pretty much on the spot. So you make the request and we will, you'll know right away whether you've got access to that, to that credit. And then the rest of the fulfillment experience is digital and, and baked into the, in this case, for example, the Lazada experience. So that's a, so that's a real concrete example of how UBX is showing up both in the platforms that we're building for communities, but also how we're partnering and collaborating with other platform uh, providers where customers in the merchants, small, medium uh, size enterprises are, are already congregating. And so we're working and partnering with these other platforms as well uh, so that they can leverage off of the, the aggregation and virtualization of financial services. One, one last point I, wa I want to make is that we are open by design. And this was another reason why we needed to and wanted to spin ourselves out of Union Bank. What we realized was that because, these, because digital platforms are acquiring customers at a rapid pace and at scale, and by the way, this has only been accelerated under the pandemic, right? Under the lockdowns that occurred in the Philippines, uh, Consumer behaviors changed overnight. And now for any business, large or small, uh, you need to be online and you need an element of digital out of sheer necessity, or you're just not going to, you're not going to survive. But what we, but at the scale at which businesses are now coming online, and of course, consumers opting for, for digital engagement, we realized that we needed the financial services 
of not just banks. We needed the financial services of insurance companies, for example, to embed. We needed the services of asset managers and other um, asset classes for savings and those types of use cases. And even when it came to banking, we realized there were banks that were that had community-based access to a larger part of the geography and the population of, for example, the Philippines. And even with our CCAP lending platform, you need a wide array of lending platforms. And the easiest way to do that is from multiple lenders. So that that kind of bundling and hyper-personalization could occur at the platform level. So Union Bank participates in the UBX platforms, but so do others. So do other lenders on our platform. Just to give you a sense of the breadth, we have about 140 regulated financial institutions participating across our platforms. On top of that, we have over, well over, I think at this point, 2,500 independent agents community-based financial uh, service providers on our platform. And this is augmented with, for example, the largest aggregation of payment channels, as far as we understand in the Philippines. We have certainly aggregated the largest number of over-the-counter cash locations, which by the way, doesn't sound very digital, but what it actually allows us to do is it allows us to embed payments so that even cash transactions are digital for the merchant. And for the consumer, they are digitized or digital up to the very, very last mile. Gotcha. No, thank, thanks a lot, John. It's super interesting to hear how you've spun and helped create this organization that's really trying to build the pipes for reaching folks who are underbanked, underserved, through embedding into other digital platforms very fast. Uh, I really like the Lazada example for that. And so I'd, I'd love to dive a bit deeper into kind of how you structured UBX and your venture building. And, and I know you've touched on this a little bit with, with what you mentioned with Union Bank and other uh, organizations, but like, how do you partner and co-create ventures? Like, how have the ventures performed so far? And how do you deal with the, the, the talent involved in that? Yeah, no, great, great question. Externally, we like to think of ourselves as the leading uh, de facto open finance platform in the Philippines, given the amount of and the number of financial service providers and financial services we have aggregated and virtualized on our platform. And of course, uh, open finance is a whole other topic and uh, the Philippines, like other jurisdictions, regulation and, and the frameworks that precede regulation are coming. And we're extremely well positioned to play within any kind of regulatory push. But I think right now we represent tremendous market pull through this, uh, this kind of embedded banking platform strategy. And as a result, we believe we are the leading open finance platform in the Philippines. So that's the external face of UBX. But as any, as any company or startup knows, there's usually a business within the business. And, and so I, I think your question really gets at to how are we structured internally to make some of some and all of the things that, I, that we've talked about so far possible. So we are internally organized as a venture studio and a venture fund. And so our venture studio is effectively an innovation pipeline. So as we pursue embedded finance, and we've also, and, and hopefully we'll get to this in a bit as well, we've also been very active 
in the crypto and decentralized space along the way. And, and hopefully we can get to that as well. But whether it's embedded finance, whether it's what, how we've leveraged blockchain and the crypto and DeFi, all of these things are effectively innovations. And when you play in the world of innovation, you have to be willing to accept failure. It's a test and learn environment. And so our venture studio is set up as, a, as the, the structure around an innovation pipeline. So what we do internally is we take uh, ideas, and I'll, I'll get back to how the idea intake works in a moment, but we take ideas and we take them through a number of phases. And at each phase, we are investing a little bit more time, a little bit more money to, to test and meet some criteria that would allow us to take it to the next phase and effectively invest more time and more money. And then ultimately, we're trying to get them to a phase where they are not just live and in the market, but they are growing traction at a rate that is either sustainable in and of itself, or it has a clear path to sustainability. So when I, some of the plat, some of the, uh, the platforms that I talked about, like our CCAP platform, I, I indirectly talked about our payments platform, which we brand as mar and, and we market it as Bucks, B-U-X. And uh, we have a banking as a service platform called eye to eye. These platforms are all now they all started as ideas where we, we did a bunch of tests and we slowly brought them. I shouldn't say slowly we, to the outsider. I think we brought them to market very quickly, but we did it in a way where we controlled our investment. But now those ventures or those, those products are, these are self-sustaining products. Now these are already, these, these the, there's enough traction there that these, uh, that these, these products can sustain themselves. And if anything, we're just looking for ways to invest more into them because of how much traction and the growth rate. So it's a portfolio approach and some of the things in our pipeline will, will progress, but at any stage, they don't meet the criteria or where we think they need to be. And, and either we need to do a pivot or we will stop investing in them. So we're not of course, we don't want anything to fail, but we are not explicitly managing failure per se. What we're actually managing and how we're structured is to manage the cost of failure. And, uh, and that allows us to, to ultimately get sustainable products and ventures to market along the lines of some of the ones that we've discussed. Now, on the ideation part of it, we have a, a thesis around embedded banking, embedded finance. And out of that thesis comes ideas that we put into our innovation pipeline. We are constantly interacting with customers. And so some of the, some of the observations and some of the real market experience we have with, with our customers and with the communities we serve lead to new ideas or new opportunities. And they naturally get fed into our innovation pipeline. The other thing that we do which I'm particularly excited about is we have what we call our innovations garage program. And for founders and entrepreneurs that are super early stage, they have an exciting idea. They have demonstrated passion about that idea and they have maybe the genesis of a plan, but they haven't really taken it too much beyond that we have a program where we will, they can pitch those ideas to us and then we will um, invite them uh, to join our innovations garage where, where now they actually join our pipeline. So we have an element of external ideation now through 
our Innovations Garage program. And maybe one last important part of our structure that I alluded to right at the beginning is we also have an investment fund. So we will invest. So for entrepreneurs and founders who are further along, they already have a going concern. They've started to develop their idea. They've gone to, they've, maybe they've gone to market and they said, have some initial traction or a lot of traction. If they are also developing platforms, digital platforms for digitally and financially underserved, if they are building technology that accelerates our ability to build similar platforms or to aggregate and virtualize financial services, we have we have the ability to invest in them. So we will we'll typically take a, a minority stake, a smaller stake in, in, in a company or a venture where they've already started, but there is nice strategic complementarity between what they're doing and what we're doing. Got you. No, thanks so much. That's super interesting. And yeah. And I think you're asking about some of the performance as well. And I think I, in very broad strokes, I alluded to the fact that some of the products that exist in our, in our, in our open finance offering, whether it's through payments, through bucks, lending through CCAP or banking as a service through eye to eye, these are all at this point, self-sustaining ventures. Like we've gotten an, an, enough traction on that. And, and just to give you a sense, we're experiencing a well over six times a year over year a revenue growth in our collectively across the UBX business, just to give you a sense of, of how we're performing and the growth. I think that's a, I think that's a good way to, to, to demonstrate it or to share that. Got you. No, thanks a lot, John. That, that's super interesting to hear kind of the different initiatives that have been built out and how partners can work with you guys. And, and clearly you have different models of engaging from the internal venture building to also the investment side. I want to switch gears from, I think, the super interesting things that you talk about traditional fintech and embedded fintech plays to crypto. And I think the very interesting thing for our listeners is that the Philippines has obviously been a super exciting place for crypto, as anyone has, who has been tracking crypto understands. And it's really unique to hear about UBX and, and, and your partnership with the Cardano Foundation to actually run a staking pool. I find that super interesting for a whole bunch of different reasons. Disclaimer, of course, that I hold Cardano tokens, but... I'd love to understand. Can you tell us a little bit about how this initiative got started? What was the objective and, and what your vision for this really looks like? And on a personal note, I'd love to understand how you came about and, and overcame any of the compliance issues that you, you might have to have. Sure. True. Yeah. So let me, uh, let me back up a bit uh, and get you to Cardano as the, uh, let's make that the climax of, of the story on the answer to this question. And uh, I don't think it's all actually going to be the climax of the UBX story as it pertains to, to DeFi, but, but let's make it the, the exciting finish to, to the story I, I want to share in answering this question. Our involvement in crypto blockchain, and what has now uh, become decentralized finance or elements of decentralized finance started actually right at the beginning for UBX. For example, let me just give you a, a real example. I already talked about a little bit about our, our, or at least I mentioned our eye-to-eye platform, which is a banking as a service platform for financial institutions and financial service providers. So we help these financial institutions and other community-based financial service providers to provide digital finance and digital experiences for their customers through this platform. Underlying that platform 
is a decentralized real-time blockchain-based payments network. Okay, that's actually what's powering and connecting all of these financial service providers to each other. And in turn, through UBX, we connect that network to the traditional financial systems and networks of the country, such as the national retail payment system, to some of the existing domestic remittance rails and other networks that exist in the Philippines. The reason we used blockchain was, so I talked about digitally and financially underserved communities. Ironically, one of the most digitally and financial, financially underserved communities in the Philippines is the community of financial institutions and financial service providers themselves. There are, there are literally hundreds of regulated financial institutions like rural banks, thrift banks, financial co-ops in the Philippines. There are thousands of non-banking financial institutions that are providing community-based financial services. It's a very uh, fractured and diverse ecosystem and community. When we talk about a country that is perennially unbanked or underbanked, on the surface, you would think that this large network of community-based financial institutions would be the best served to include a, the vast majority of the Filipino population, which is digitally, sorry, which is, <clears throat> which is uh, unbanked or underbanked. But when we looked at these financial service providers, they themselves were excluded. They weren't connected to, for example, the national retail payment systems and to other payment rails in the country because they were basically digitally underserved as well. So they, they either couldn't afford it, or if they could afford it, they didn't have the technolo technological capability to connect. And so we said, this is a fantastic use case for blockchain because uh, blockchain is a trustless infrastructure will allow us to connect for the connect these financial institutions and providers to each other in a way that does not require the expense of a, a central clearinghouse or a centralized over. And so that's what we did. So we built this uh, blockchain-based payments network. And it, I would argue it's one of the best payment networks in the Philippines because it is one, because it's very economical to run because it's decentralized, but also because it's digitally native and it's real time on the network. Any transaction settles and, and clears in real time. And then of course, we've provided access to the traditional networks by connecting this network to them through UBX. So that's a great example of how we've been involved in, uh, in some of this technology right from the beginning, although it, it's hidden, it's hidden from the, uh, the consumer or from even the users using our system. So blockchain in this case is an enabler. Another thing that, that might fly under the radar is that we actually use a central bank approved stablecoin called PHX that we, that we developed. The Union Bank actually provides the regulatory cover for the stablecoin. So for every stablecoin that is floating around our eye-to-eye -eye network, there is a real peso or a fiat peso in the vault of the bank, so to speak. While, while value is moving on our network, it actually moves, because it's a blockchain-based network, it moves in the form of a cryptocurrency, but in this case, a stablecoin that is tied uh, directly 
to the to the uh, the value of a Philippine Philippine peso. And again, so we're leveraging crypto and we're leveraging blockchain in this specific example to power some of the open finance initiatives and banking as a services banking as a service product and services that we offer our customers. And and then uh, we're connecting them to the legacy or the traditional financial networks or financial services. And we've done this we've done this by working with the regulator all, along all along the way. So when we started this uh, blockchain based network, we worked with the uh, central bank in their sandbox. And we worked with, I, I believe it was six institutions, financial institutions at the time to, to test this out live in production, but within the, within this regulatory sandbox. I think, I don't want to speak for the central bank, but I think the regulator understood that this was a great way to connect the long tail of financial service providers to the larger payment networks and, and systems of the country. And so they gave us approval to commercially launch in this case, this uh, blockchain-based network outside of the sandbox and to graduate it to a full commercial launch. And of course, the stablecoin that we use, we've done that in conjunction with another regulated institution and with the with the central bank aware of our activities all along the way and ultimately with their approval. And so that's how we've that's how we've done it. So we've really partnered with the regulator as we leverage these new blockchain, crypto and and what's emerging as decentralized finance technologies. I think, and I think the other part of it is exactly what I've said. We've used them first and foremost as enablers, and we've also connected them to the traditional rails and traditional financial services. And I think that's, that's provided a lot of comfort uh, to everybody in, in, as they start to dip their toes into the, into ultimately what is a crypto enabled or blockchain enabled world. Now what's happening is I believe that crypto and uh, blockchain certainly and now decentralized finance are becoming much more mainstream. And it and there are products and possibilities that now are native to crypto, to DeFi. And so now in a way, what we have been using up till now as enabler, we want to elevate within our own platform, our own UBX platform to first class uh, citizens. So for example, so now I'll bring it right back to Cardano. Staking is what a lot is a critical component of the consensus protocol of the Cardano blockchain. There, the ability to earn in the past, it was, it was mining with Bitcoin and now it's staking with cryptocurrencies or, or networks like Cardano. Nothing like that exists in traditional finance, but it is a, it's a new product. It's a new opportunity or component of this financial operating system of the future. And so now our Cardano staking pool, I think is a good example of what will be the first amongst many crypto native, DeFi native products and services that we will be aggregating and virtual, well, they're already virtual, but we'll be making them accessible through the UBX platform. And I think collectively what you end up with is you have the ultimate in open finance, because you're covering both access, aggregation and access for the customer across a multiplicity of both traditional financial service providers and now decentralized finance. 
And I think it just makes the uh, the value proposition of embedded fine. So when you then take all of that embedded into uh, a, a digital platform or now decentralized applications, the opportunity for hyper personalization and hyper context aware or sensitive finance is really just enhanced in an exponential way. And for us, it's also the natural evolution of our strategy. I, I, I told you our thesis was that the future is embedded in invisible banking. I think that, I think our thesis is no longer a thesis. I think it's a well-accepted hypothesis and every day more and more it's fact. And so we are looking beyond that. What is the post-platform economy or what is the post-platform strategy for financial services? And we really believe that it's likely decentralized and even more disintermediated. And so we are investing aggressively on the solid foundation of our existing experience with crypto blockchain and, and the emerging DeFi. And now we're just going to invest very aggressively into decentralized finance and crypto as a first-class uh, citizen of the, of the broad financial services ecosystem. And, and I think that we will be, we will be a critical player in bridging traditional financial services and the, and this financial operating system of the future. And so that's where, that's where Cardano fits in for us. And our staking pool will be the first of many offerings in the crypto and DeFi space to be, to be powered or facilitated through UBX. So keep your eyes open <laughs> and gotcha. watch for it. More, more to come. The best is yet to come. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's super exciting, John. I, I think what was especially interesting for me was I, I, of course, did not know the story about all the work that you've done with all the different financial institutions, the regulators. So this is really, as you mentioned, not something out of the blue, but really out of a very deep understanding of, of the space and the law of works with existing stakeholders, et cetera. So I think that's super interesting. And I think that's a great segue to, to, to my last question, which is the Philippines, I think it's a really interesting space. And, and you, of course, have had spent a lot of time, as you said, you came in as someone who is not from the Philippines, but you obviously then spent a lot of time in the Philippines understanding the local nuances. And so what are the largest gaps in understandings when founders or VCs look at fintech in the Philippines? Because we're going to see a lot more interest. We are seeing a lot more interest in what's happening there. And, and what are some of the things that you think are key that might otherwise be overlooked? Yeah, sure. I, I think the Philippines may have historically been a, a big, an interesting question mark, for example, for venture capital in the past. And the and, certain, and you can look at the stats. I don't have them at the tip of my fingers. But the Philippines has certainly, from a venture capital perspective, been traditionally underinvested yeah. compared to our Southeast Asian peers, as an example. And I think what's obvious to everyone is the opportunity. We were just talking about crypto. The Philippines is the third largest user of crypto in the world. That's how big the market is being driven by things like play to earn and other phenomena of late. But it is, that's a huge, you know, that's a huge market globe in the Philippines in absolute numbers, over 110 million people. I've already alluded to this, but, and again, you can pick your favorite stat or study, but upwards of 70% of the population under un unbanked or certainly underbanked. So there is a huge opportunity for startups and for entrepreneurs in the Philippines. And I think everybody sees that, but at the same time, it's been a, a market that 
where the basic infrastructure was missing or highly fractured. So most people in the Philippines own a mobile phone, but not everybody, not every place in the Philippines has connectivity, oh. things, things like that. It's also a very diverse and there's over 7,100 islands in the Philippines. So it's geographically dispersed and diverse. I talked about some of the ecosystems and communities that we looked at and they are highly, there's not necessarily one natural ecosystem owner or community owner that you can naturally gravitate to. And so I think some of the favorite plays in the VC playbook are not necessarily readily available or true in the Philippines. And however, if you can crack, if you can crack the opportunity as everyone I think has recognized is quite large. And, and I think now people are starting uh, to figure this out. And I guess, what can I offer? You have to be here in the Philippines. So there's a lot of VC money and fintechs that are coming from outside of the Philippines, trying to enter the market. Having a presence in the Philippines is absolutely key to understand the nuances of the local environment and the way business is done. The other one gets back to that kind of dis dispersed, if it's not dispersed geography, it's dispersed communities. And I guess one of our strong points at UBX uh, and why we, whether it's it's through our platform or through our fund, why we might be a, a really good gateway to the Philippines for fintechs who are not from the Philippines, but coming to the Philippines is you have to invest in some of this heavy lifting on the ground to aggregate the, the agents or the community, the agents that will serve the communities or the communities themselves or the distribution partners or channels. And like I said, there's not necessarily just one natural distribution partner, right? You probably have to do a lot of hard work. Uh, on the ground, aggregating them together. So I guess my my advice or what I think fintechs and entrepreneurs in the Philippines need to look at is look for a look for infrastructure or technology partners like a UBX and or look for and be prepared to do the heavy lifting of aggregating your your distribution partners or your channel partners because whether it's on the supply side or on the demand side without doing that heavy lifting you might have some great technology but if you expect to and you might get away with this you might be able to put it on the web and drive a lot of performance marketing and it might work I think it's going to be uh, a slog as well. And I think you're going to spend a lot of money. So I'm not saying that won't work, but I, I think you, you definitely want to at least augment that with, with some partnership activity. Uh, so I think being very aggressive and doing some heavy lifting on the partnership front is really key to operating as a startup or, or a founder in the Philippines. Got you. No, thanks a lot, John. I think that's super helpful. And obviously, it's great to know that there's infrastructure already set up like UBX uh, to tap onto. John, thank you so much for your time. I know we've taken a lot of it. Thanks so much for the insights. Looking forward to what's next within the DeFi space and UBX in the Philippines. It's going to be super hot. I, I can definitely tell. And to have you on again next time. Thanks very much for having me. It's It's been great to share our story. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at voiceoffintech.com. Happy to hear from you. Thank you.